If I say I did urban exploration sometimes, odds are you'll have a pretty good idea of what I'm talking about, but with a variety of levels of intensity depending on who you are. I've seen it refer to everything from hunting new graffiti in parking garages on weekends, to taking an overnight bag to sleep in a condemned subway station, to everything in between. My favorite example someone cited when I mentioned it was a video they'd seen of a guy who filmed himself climbing the suspension cables of the Brooklyn Bridge at night. What I did is much less dedicated. I just explored condemned buildings within a couple of hours of me, a few times a year with a friend of mine. We would bring flashlights, water, and some wire cutters, but nothing too much more dedicated than that. The most technically difficult thing we explored was an abandoned missile silo outside of Denver that they used 40 or 50 years ago for those three-story nuclear missiles, since it involved traversing some rusty ladders and avoiding falling into black puddles full of rust and mold and god knows what else. The last place we explored, though, was much closer to home. We actually walked there from my house, fittingly enough, I suppose. Sometime around the beginning of the 21st century, St. Francis Hospital was closed down for good after something like 20 years of trying to keep it open after shifting most of the regional cases to the new modernized hospital across town. It had been the biggest hospital in the area from the late 1800s until the 60s, but it had been showing its age, so the number of people working and being treated there kept dwindling and getting more specialized until finally they just gave up, closed the place down, barely bothering to clear it out. So for years, I only knew the hospital as the big decrepit building with the boarded up windows and the discolored brick and the giant metal cross on the west facade. I'd always heard stories about why it hadn't sold or why nobody was doing anything with it, but I didn't give it much thought beyond the occasional reminder to myself that I'd really love to get in there someday and see what it was like. Early one fall weeknight, my friend John and I decided that tonight would be the night. We'd just pop a few boards out of the way and go take a look around, maybe take a few pictures. I'd seen a few photos from inside, but I hadn't seen or read about much more than that, so I was really curious to get a look. The sun went down, and about half an hour later, John and I zipped up our bags and started walking the five or so blocks from my house. The building was built in the late 1800s in the Jacobian style, with reddish bricks below stone arches and towers, then had some additions in the 60s in a more modern, blocky concrete style. The color scheme sort of blended the two parts, but that was about it. Most of the windows on the bottom half had been boarded up with sheets of plywood, leaving some of the higher windows unprotected and revealing a few hall lights still on. From walking my dog around the neighborhood, I knew that there were patrolling security cars every so often. But it seemed somewhat irregular, so we figured we would be okay if we got in quickly and didn't make too much noise. We got to the corner of the hospital property and examined it. No security vehicles visible, no other pedestrians, and nobody out on the porches of the nearby house. We had to move fast while that was all still the case. The older wing of the hospital is four stories tall, and the newer one is five. We figured most of that was probably patient rooms, so we'd have a good chance of seeing any interesting stuff before security showed up or we left out of caution. On the walk up, we saw one of the windows above the emergency room drop-off canopy was broken. There didn't appear to be any easy way up, which I assumed was why they hadn't repaired it. After studying it for a minute or two, John pointed out a few jutting bricks that could be used as hand and footholds. I held his bag as he free-climbed up onto the canopy, and then he offered me a hand up. The bottom half of the window in question was in pieces all over the inside of the building, so John and I squeezed through the gap and ended up in what looked like the second floor reception area. We pulled out our flashlights and looked around. The rest of the room's tall windows were covered with plywood, beneath which were bolts in the floor where furniture had been attached. There was glass underneath where we had come in, but otherwise the only thing on the floor in the room was a lot of dust. 
To our right was a stairwell leading down, and to the left was a hallway. We went left, making note of the signs. Mostly just room numbers, a janitor's closet, medical supply room. It was quiet in there. I could occasionally hear a car driving past, but otherwise all I heard were our footsteps and John occasionally going, huh. At the end of the hall, we turned the corner into a longer hallway that looked like it ran the length of the building. The ceiling was curved slightly, and the walls were stained ceramic tiles, looking exactly the part of a mid-century hospital. A single sconce, most of the way down the hall, was on, casting us and the hallway in a sickly orange glow. All of the doors were open, and John poked his head into the first one on the street side. I followed him. It was a small, impatient room, empty except for a few chunks of plaster and dust. I stepped in about halfway to look out the window, which had an amazing view of downtown and the mountains. What the hell? John muttered. I turned and saw him examining the cracked walls. Inside the cracks, a handful of small, folded pieces of paper had been wedged in. John pulled one of the papers out and read it. Mom, this room reminds me of how much I miss you. I will always love you. He put it back delicately and grabbed another. Thinking of you always, Mom and Dad. He put it back and looked at me. When they closed it, they must have invited patients and family members to write notes. I left the room and went to the next one, which was equally dusty and empty. I shined my flashlight over the walls and saw several pieces of paper stuck into crevices and corners around the room, wherever they would fit. I checked the next room and saw the same thing. I stepped out into the hall. There have to be hundreds of rooms in this place, I said to John. I wonder if they're all like this. Behind John, I saw something flicker. A shadow moving, just for a split second. He looked at me and turned to see what I was looking at. What? he asked. I gave him a look and stepped down the hallway towards the motion as quietly as I could, trying to see if there was anyone there. I came around the corner and looked down the other hall towards where we'd come in. Nothing. Probably a rat, I said. We continued down the hall, poking our heads into a few more of the rooms. Each one had at least a few of the folded notes wedged in various spots. Whenever we stopped to examine a room, I kept thinking I was hearing something from behind us around the corner. I figured security gave the building a walkthrough every so often just to make sure nobody had taken up residence, but I had no idea when or how often that happened. If we got caught, it would probably just be a big fine, according to the people I knew who had gotten busted during urban exploration. But it hadn't been that hard to get in here, so it was entirely possible there could be somebody else like us here. It was an upsetting thought, and I was glad John was there. At the end of the hall, there was a stairwell. We discussed briefly which way we should go, and decided heading down would keep us closer to exits, even if this would require breaking a window. We went down a flight to the main floor, but I was intrigued by one of the phrases on the directory sign above the next flight down. Tunnel access restricted. The idea of tunnels beneath the hospital was fascinating, and a little unsettling. But it was mostly fascinating, so I suggested to John we see where the tunnels were headed. Let's work our way down, he said. I'll bet there's good stuff on the main level. The whole reason I enjoyed urban exploration was seeing what happened to places when they weren't being used every day. What sticks around after the people are gone? The quiet that lingers once the electricity isn't running through the walls and there wasn't anybody there yesterday and there won't be tomorrow is unlike anything else I've been able to find since. We stepped out into a hallway that looked similar to the one we'd been in above, only the sign on the wall indicated that there were a few operating rooms here. The closest one was halfway down the hall and was labeled Operating Theater Number 4. Its door was closed but not locked, so we cracked it halfway open and squeezed through the opening. 
The light was still attached to the ceiling, a swiveling, several-jointed one with two large round bulbs that could be individually aimed. John was testing the flexibility of the light's joint when I heard a distant voice coming from outside the room, deeper in the hospital, shout, Hey! We froze. I looked at John, practically holding my breath. He stared at the door. After 10 or 15 seconds, we heard it again. Hey! It sounded further away this time, though. It sounded like a man's voice, but a scratchy one, and the syllable echoed for a moment before fading out. Time to go? John mouthed to me. I nodded. We waited a few more moments in case the voice called out again, but it didn't, so we slid back out into the hall and quickly snuck back to the stairwell. I started up, John right behind me, but on the landing midway up I heard footsteps up above. In the hallway we'd first come from, someone was running in our direction. Someone's coming, I hissed at John and immediately started back down. We turned to go back into the main floor hallway and stopped in the doorway. A figure was walking towards us quickly and we heard the shout again, HEY! The figure broke into a run. John and I jumped over the guardrail onto the stairs down to the basement. We rounded the landing and heard the footsteps from the second floor banging down towards us. There was a closed metal door at the bottom of the stairwell with a crash bar, which John slammed open. I sprinted through and he was right behind me. It looked like the same kind of utilitarian basement of any number of buildings, all concrete and exposed pipes. We came to an intersection of hallways and stopped in front of the remains of a sign. The only thing I could imagine that would be worse than getting caught by whoever was upstairs was getting lost in the basement of an abandoned hospital. The sign had a few different destinations, radiology, laundry, elevator, but the one that immediately caught my eye was Tunnel to Peak Avenue, since Peak Avenue was halfway between the hospital and my house. I hadn't noticed anything over there that was connected to the hospital, but behind us the stairwell door flew open, so I gestured to John as we both started running. We followed another sign to another intersecting hallway. At the end of it there was another door with a crash bar, but this one was chained shut with an ancient looking padlock. Hey! echoed down the hall. John started stomping the padlock with his boot heels I glanced around wildly, looking for a way out. There was a narrow, closed elevator door behind a broken gurney that we'd passed, so I ran over and tried to pry it open without any success. There was a heating vent that could maybe hold a person, but it was eight feet up, and I doubted that both of us would fit. We had trapped ourselves. The heavy footfalls were getting louder. I tightened my grip on my flashlight, not knowing if I was going to have to hit somebody or if we were about to get detained and arrested. Incredibly, the padlock snapped, and John yanked the door open. We barreled through and pushed it closed behind us as we began to rush into the black. Our flashlights were darting around wildly, illuminating concrete walls, a polished concrete floor, and the occasional long fluorescent bulb, long dead. I couldn't hear if we were being followed over the echoing sounds of our footsteps and the blood rushing in my ears, but I had a brief moment of panic as I realized that the other end of this tunnel could be blocked off with more than just a padlock. We rounded a corner and came to a set of double doors. They didn't look locked from our side, so John pushed one open and we ran through. On the other side, there were a few more of the broken metal gurneys. I grabbed one of them and managed to wedge it between the floor and the door handles. I figured it would buy us at least a few more moments to plan our escape. I stopped to listen, and I didn't hear anyone on the other side. So I took a deep breath and turned around to take a look at the room we'd entered. It was a boiler room, with two absolutely massive iron tanks connected to an even more massive furnace. Most of the floor in the room was stained black from where coal had fallen over the decades, and the boilers loomed ominously over us. The walls were filled with small rectangular panes of glass that had been painted black on the inside to prevent anyone from looking in. I recognized where we were. The brick building on the grounds of the boarding school a few blocks from where I lived. I walked my dog past it all the time, and I'd assumed it was an old power station for the school. That looked like the case from inside, too. 
On the opposite side of the room, John was staring at a smaller furnace. I walked over to him and read the sign on the wall next to the furnace. Bodies only. Without saying anything, John and I turned to go. There was a set of double doors on our left that were chained shut with a much larger, newer-looking padlock. I thought I remembered a door to the street from walking past the building, so I started following the wall. I turned at the corner behind one of the boiler tanks and saw a metal door in the middle of the wall that didn't look like it had any additional locks. Then I heard John's quick intake of breath as he turned the corner to follow me. I looked up. There was someone standing in the corner of the room looking at one of the panes of glass as if looking out the window. Some of the panes had less paint and you could see the glow of lights of nearby buildings, but that was all. The person was wearing a black coat and black boots and had short, light brown hair. John and I shut off our flashlights and froze, and the person started to turn around. It looked like a middle-aged man with big, pale eyes that glinted in the scraps of light sneaking in the corners of some of the windows. He looked at us with an expression I couldn't decipher, but he didn't say anything. The door between us only had a pair of deadbolts keeping it shut, so I stepped towards it slowly, not breaking eye contact. He watched me, but he didn't move. The deadbolts were tight, but I managed to force them open, and the door cracked open to let the night breeze in. The man smiled widely and started walking towards us, so John and I ran through the door and shut it behind us. I recognized the sidewalk we emerged onto next to the seven or eight story tall smokestack, and we started to jog down the sidewalk away from the power station. I glanced back at one point and didn't see anybody. One of the hospital's towers was poking out from behind an apartment complex a few blocks away. I don't go urban exploring anymore. Not like that. Every time I think about doing it, I remember the feeling I had when the figure started running towards us in the dark hospital lobby. And I remember the grin on that man's face inside the boiler room, and I have no desire to seek that out again. A few days after our exploration, I was doing some research on the hospital to figure out what we'd seen. And I found that it had started as a sanatorium where people suffering from tuberculosis would stay. Back then, before antibiotics for tuberculosis were discovered and it was more of a death sentence, the bodies of people who died from DB weren't allowed to be taken into the open air, so they had to burn them. And they had to do so without taking them outside. So they'd built a tunnel to the furnaces on the grounds of the nearby school and burn the bodies there.